0: Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez, Buddy, and Killingbird. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the first installment of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I am Derek, aka Killingbird, and I'm here with my co-host.
1: Hey, guys, this is Diego, a.k.a. Ron Buddy from Tournament Poker Edge. Uh, Derek, I'm really excited about this podcast. I know the site has been up since April, you know, a, a number of months now, about six months, and I've really been looking forward to, to getting this started because I, uh, I think the world is ready for another tournament-focused podcast.
0: Yeah, I know you and I have been talking about doing this for a while, and, and it's it's. Cool for the site, but I think it's also cool for us because this is something we've been wanting for a long time, you know, a a podcast focused on strategy and a podcast focused on tournaments. Um, I think there's a little bit of both of those out there. You know, there's there's sort of more news and gossip podcasts that focus on tournaments, and there are strategy uh, podcasts that focus on cash. Uh, But I I think there's a void um, in this area, so it's going to be a lot of fun to do, and and I think we're going to learn a lot in the process.
1: Yeah, so, so so what we'll be doing on this podcast is every every installment we'll be bringing in two or more TPE pros to talk to Derek and I about hands that we've played recently uh, that we. Had some trouble with, or some spots where we think there are questions in a general framework about a specific topic. This week we'll be talking about the early stages of tournaments, and uh, and just so you know a little bit more about Derek and I and why, why we're hosting and and why um you know what we'll bring bringing we bring into the podcast is uh, Derek and I uh, and I'll you know Derek will give you his story in a second but we're amateur players. Um, I have a day job. Uh, I I do marketing for a software company, and you know poker is a serious hobby for me. Um, it's you know aside from my job and spending time with my wife and my kids, it's you know number three on the list, and I think my wife would dispute um, what's number <laughs> one or number two that week. Um, but you know it's my passion, it's it's what I really enjoy doing. But I'm not a pro, right? And and so uh, so so and Derek, you know I know you're in, you're in the same boat. Um, you know you spend a lot of time playing poker too, right?
0: Yeah, um, it's definitely you know a serious hobby hobby for me as well, and and it's slowly becoming a little bit more. The way I I hope to make my living, but for now, you know, I'm still an amateur, and I'm just trying to get better every day. You know, and and the the site's doing a lot uh, for me in that regard, and and hopefully, this podcast will do the same.
1: Yeah, and I I think I think uh, what we'll be able to do here, and what makes us a little different is that since we aren't the pros and we haven't figured everything out yet, I think we'll be able to bring hands and situations to the podcast that. A lot of our members or just people who aren't members of TPE but are, are out there playing tournament poker may struggle with the same sort of spots. I know today we're going to be talking about early stages, and especially being a, a tournament donk, um, I struggle a little bit with deep stack poker at times. Um, I'm probably better at the, you know, the short stack stuff, although that's probably debatable too, but um, – but with the deep stack, you know, here we're going to talk about that most of most of when we bring most of the time when we bring in Ween and and Big Dog, and so we'll I, you know I, I dug up some spots from my hands, and I know you dug up some spots too, Derek, where we're going to bring up these these points where it wasn't quite clear to us, and and we'll try to uh, you know approach this from the mindset of the average player because you know pretty much what we are, <laughs> um, and we'll see what the pros have to say about about how we uh, you know how we how we approached what we've done yeah so a little bit about ourselves so you know who, who who your hosts are and what kind of experience we have i've been playing poker since i was a kid um around the table with you know the grandparents and, and aunts and uncles on the holidays and obviously um things change when moneymaker effect happened i be- you know, started playing online, and started with party poker, playing sit and goes, just, you know, real casual, throw 50 bucks in, play, you know, two $20 tournaments and a $10 sit and go and lose it because I had no idea about bankroll management. And then um, I discovered Harrington and Hold'em, two plus two, uh, started to become a little more active in the community, and I've had some decent success, you know. So I think I, think I understand poker at a, at a decent level, not necessarily to the pros, uh, but I have... Um, you know, won a couple of the, the night, nightly majors. I won the, the Stars' uh, nightly 100 grand. Um, I've won the 50-50 and the 70K a couple times. Um, and I final tabled an F-Tops. Um... I am currently on the worst downswing of my career, so it's really forcing me to seriously evaluate my game. Um, I think since the games have gotten tougher, um, gotten harder, uh, I think there are some leaks that I, I need to fix. And I, I brought some hands today where I think there might be some of my leaks. And that, So that, that's based my background. I think, uh, I think I understand the game, but I, I think there's definitely more for me to learn.
0: Yeah, and I, I think my background is is similar to yours. You know, I started playing right around the money maker boom, and, and probably started taking it a little more seriously a couple of years later. Uh, you know, discovered some of the online forums and started reading and and really studying the game. You know, I have had some some decent results. You know, I final table the mini F tops, uh, and have had, you know had some nice wins along the way. But you know, I, I think one, one thing you'll find is true about all pros is, is that they're constantly trying to improve their game and tr- and constantly reevaluating yeah. their game and that's what you know that's what i've been doing and that's what i think you know we can try to accomplish through this podcast and, and by bringing hands that we've played um we're doing exactly what everybody out there should be doing which is you know finding tricky spots or hands that they're having trouble with and, and talking to friends and discussing how they could have played it differently how they could have played it better and uh, and I'm, I'm just really looking forward to uh i'm looking forward to the pros talking to these hands with us and and learning as much as i can
1: yeah and you know i've i've talked hands with Ween, i've talked hands with big dog and and, I, you know, I think – and, of course, I've talked hands with the other pros like, like Hit the Panda and Hagbert Celine and Cougars and, and T-Twist. I mean I've just – I've ha- I've spent time talking hands with them because this is not just a business. This is, you know, like I said, this is what we like to do. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to listen to that dialogue because there's something about – these types of players, these really, you know, successful um, pros that approach the game um, differently than, than a lot of the people out there. That when I talk to them, I know I pick something up every time, and and, and it really helps me uh, understand, you know, how to to really, uh, you know, get the most value from my hands or avoid tricky spots. And, and, and with these two guys specifically, I've done this before. Um, so I'm really looking forward to going over some of these hands with these guys.
0: Yeah, and, and it's fascinating to me. I know, you know, we get asked a lot or, or, or people ask on this site, you know, how do I go about getting better? And, and people always say, talk about hands with friends. But, um, you know, out at the World Series of Poker this summer, uh, you know, I had several times where I had an opportunity to sit down with players who I really respect and hear them talk about hands and, and talk about hands with me. And, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever wondered what pros talk about, like after they bust out of a tournament or after they win a tournament, uh, or, or whatever the case might be, this podcast is going to be exactly what they sound like. You know? Yeah. yeah. And you know,
1: what's you know, it's, you know, what's interesting is that I've talked hands with people that aren't necessarily, you know, are, are, are not well established or, or trying to learn and trying to get better. and, and There are a lot of people who will defend what they did – and not really be open to the, the you know the criticism and, and the feedback from people who might have play the hand differently, which just amazes me when someone asks you for you know your feedback on their hand, and then they just argue with you um, on what you 're saying so I think it takes an open mind. Um, I think the pros earn that because of the fact that they are established and they have a lot of success. but I think just talking poker with anyone you really have to keep your mind open and, 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 and you know even if you don 't agree with what the person is saying. You know, you just have to try to think and remember that, especially with online tournament poker, you can you can develop a leak and it could become mechanic and you may not even know it. So it's yeah. really good, to, to, you know, if you're asking a person because you respect them to, to, to comment on your hand, you know, okay, if you don't, you know, don't ask someone you don't respect, right? Because then fine, don't listen to that person. But if you ask someone you respect and they disagree with a fundamental thing that you're doing… And I, I think there are some fundamental things in these hands that I'm not quite sure of, so I'm interested to see what they say. But even if they bring up things that are not, you know, that I, I didn't even think, and that happens a lot when I talk to a pro. Like I'll, 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 I'll bring up a hand because I want to talk about the turn, and then they're like, "Well, the flop was a mess. Let's talk about right. the flop." And you have to be open to that kind of feedback. That's really important when you talk to people about hands.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely the key. All
1: right. Well, why don't we get oh. into the segment? Um, so f- for everyone listening uh there so if you if you downloaded the podcast from our site right next to the link to today this this podcast you'll see a link to uh to the hands we've decided to post them for you as well if you're listening on you know on on your computer while you're playing or you're at a stationary place where you can get to a website while you're listening uh, you can just look at the hands because it's hard to follow hands sometimes when you you're you know they're broad, being broadcast to you and you know you don't remember what happened on the flop and, and we'll try to we'll try to you know, summarize as we go along what happened so far so that, that each uh, action makes sense in context of the greater whole. But those those hands will be up there as well. If you got this from iTunes or from another, another uh, method of downloading, uh, you can go to tournamentpokeredge.com, uh, click on podcast, and you will see a link to October podcast hands. Uh, and the full URL will be uh, www.tournamentpokeredge.com slash october dash podcast dash hands but you don't have to remember that if you just go to our site click on podcast you should see a link to these hands
0: all right well let's take a little bit of a break and we will be right back to talk a little strategy with big dog pocket fives and ween
2: are you looking for a poker training site that focuses exclusively on poker tournaments tired of waiting through cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video well look no further than tournamentpokeredge.com In addition to training videos, Tournament Poker Edge has blogs, forums, a member chat room, poker-related articles, and much more. Pros include Casey, Big Dog, Pocket Fives, Jarzabek, Ryan, Hit the Panda, Franklin, and Jonathan Ween. Tournament Poker Edge has the lowest monthly price, and unlike most poker training sites, there is no initial sign-up fee. So sign up today and find out why Tournament Poker Edge has quickly become the number one choice of tournament players looking to improve their poker skills. TournamentPokerEdge.com
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're about to move into the strategy segment. Derek, you ready to talk some strategy with the TPE pros? I'm ready. All right, great. Um, joining us today uh, on this first TPE podcast are Casey, Casey Jarzabek, Big Dog Pocket Fives, and John Ween. Ween, I've got Toe Jam chasing idiot on various sites. Hey guys, how you doing?
3: What up?
2: What's going on?
3: up?
1: John. John, how's it going?
2: Oh, fantastic, buddy. <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us. So so Derek, so as we talked about earlier, um, we've gathered some hands uh, from early stages of the tournaments, uh, a couple of tournaments we've played recently, uh, and we're going to just concentrate generally on strategy for playing um, the early stages from uh, different specific types of hands like ace-king or small pairs to general ideas like like how you manage your stack and, and general type of hands you're looking to play. So, so Derek, uh, you know, how do you typically approach early stages of the tournament? Before we uh, get the pros to get their opinion out there,
0: I I tend to play really tight and maybe maybe sometimes overly tight. But I think my strategy is dictated a little bit by the stakes that I'm playing at. You know, you get a lot of guys splashing around with a ton of hands, which maybe means I should be splashing around with a ton of hands. But I tend to just sit back and play my big hands really fast because people. Will very gladly, you know, in, in a ten dollar or a a twenty-two or something like that, people will just gladly stack off with ace queen or ace jack or you know top pair no kicker. So you, you, when you get those big hands, you can really get paid off, uh, which might not be as easy to do at the at the higher stakes. But at my level, that's pretty much how I play it.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I used to play like everything um, early because you know we're so deep, and if you're playing at ten twenty with three three K, you know I would open up suited connectors really early and and just try to play a lot of pots. But then I started watching Casey's video. Uh, a lot of Casey's early stage video on TPE, and he actually, the way he played early early surprised me, and I think he probably he acknowledged that in his video. Casey, do you want to describe sort of how you play the early stages of tournaments?
3: Yeah, um, I'm kind of exactly like uh, Derek with uh, just play really tight and uh, tag. When I do decide to play a hand, I play it really aggressively because there are so many people spa- splashing around, that if you do have a big hand, more times than not, you can pick up some chips, and uh, there's nothing worse than stacking off early in a tournament, and going through 300 big blinds with 8-9 of spades, when you really should have just folded pre, so I play really, really tight, um, and when I do decide to play a hand, I just play it really aggressively.
0: And Ween it seems like from your videos, y- you do tend to splash around a little bit more, and, and- play maybe a few more hands, especially in position. Is that true?
2: Yeah, it's definitely true for me. Um I think it depends on the tournament, but uh like a 1K on full tilt, if I'm playing something like that, all, most of the people in that tournament are going to be pros and playing several other tables at once. So they're going to be playing like very ABC poker. So I'm able to take advantage of that by opening up my game because they're just not focused on it.
1: Yeah, but you, you know what I find? I like I get in a situation where, let's say, I open up eight nine suited from like under the gun plus one, and then I get like two callers, and the flop is like eight queen four. You know, I mean, I don't have a specific hand this is referring to, but just like like when I do that and I find myself in that situation, and then I see bed and I get I get floated, and I just find myself now I'm down to like twenty six hundred chips. Am, am I doing something wrong there? I mean, is there should I be just giving up on those flops or or? And I know we don't have specifics in this particular example, but it, you know, what do you guys do when you when that happens?
3: Well, that's exactly my point. I I don't think there's enough value in picking up uh, five or six little pots. Um compared to the one time where you're gonna have to see bet and then you might hit a good turn card so you gotta stick around for the river. Um, I think it hurts you way more to lose five or six hundred chips than it's gonna for you to take advantage of the fact that everybody's playing A B C and you pick up five or six pots worth a hundred or a hundred and twenty chips each. Um so that's why I go um the very tight aggressive route, just to avoid those exact type situations.
2: All right. I think if you're playing, like, 8-9 suited in position and you flop middle pair, you can always exercise pot control and check back the flop and evaluate what those guys do on the turn before it gets back to you. Like You get tons of information uh, to see if your middle pair is good. By the time the turn comes, you don't have to invest 400 chips to find that information out.
1: Right, right. And so maybe it's a problem of position. Maybe I shouldn't be opening those up so early. Maybe I should just, you know, wait till. At least the the hijack or so, depending on table dynamics. That's probably
3: are you you saying, Ween that
2: if you check it back and then he fires the turn, you're automatically letting it go? Well, no, I might just flat the turn and evaluate what happens on the river. It depends on what the turn brings on said random board. I mean, it all depends. I don't have a hand in front of me to really go through it. Right. And when do you
1: guys start to open up? I mean, like Casey, let's assume that, you know, we're playing your tight strategy. I'm going to guess that, you know, a lot of times you'll double up because you you did, you know, suck someone in with a monster or you, you know, have three, you know, three K chips at like 100, 200. Like, is that is that common for you? And then you just kind of try to double up or or do you see the, the tournaments progress in a different way?
3: Well, I never let it get to um, to the point where I have 3k chips, 100, 200 because I'd never like to fall below 20 big blinds. So my 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 style would either change depending on my stack or depending on whether the fact the annies have come into the game. Um, I usually generally open it up once there's some annies. I think there's some value in raising in some spots with annies in the middle. But it, let's say I have doubled a couple times and I now have 12,000 chips and it Annie's have just come into play I'll still continue my uh, tight style until I, I get down to maybe 40 big lines 50 big lines and then I'll open it up because even if I, if there is Annie's and I have 120 or 150 big lines I still don't think there's a lot of value in trying to grab a you know 400 chip pot because I'm just so deep so right. it really depends on what what my stack size is um, before I change into my um, big dog mode.
1: Gotcha. Okay, well, let's take an example. I've um, I, 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 I th- been thinking about this and preparing to talk to you guys about, you know, the, these this stage and these types of hands. I, I've been paying attention to, to when I get into spots, you know, early to, to, to early mid where uh, I found it confusing on what to do. And, and, and the first one that came up for me was I was playing the Midnight Madness a couple of days ago on Full Tilt. You know, it's a $10 tournament. Uh, we actually start with 1500 chips, um, which I hate. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the 1500 chip tournaments are are, are are so shallow. But I was able to double up, um, and I was, I think uh, I was I was actually chip leader at my table, which doesn't say much because I had about 3200 chips at 6120. Uh, but I got 2-2 in middle position, and um, I was MP2. So I had, there were four folds in front of me, um, and then there were, you know, four left to act behind me. So I'm right there in the middle. And, you know, first thing I thought of here is I'm, you know, I'm at about, I guess, 26 big blinds, and I have two two. Uh, no antes. It, should I just chuck this, or are you guys playing this, um, you know, with potentially getting called by someone behind you?
3: Uh, for me, for me, this is a, a fold pre flop. I, I definitely wouldn't be playing this. If, if you're deeper, if you have yeah. like um, 45 big blinds, then I definitely like the value of getting in there and trying to hit a set. Right. But I just think that with 26, 27 big blinds, you're going to have to open, and then you're more than likely going to have to see bet. And then if somebody does something, you give giving away a, a pretty big percentage of your stack. So for me, this is just a fold
2: pre-flop. Um, yeah, for that, me it yeah. it depends on the on the stacks behind me, um, whether I'd be opening that or not.
1: Well, let me give you the stacks then. So 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 I was an MP two. Um, I had 3,200. Yeah. The the cutoff had, <clears throat> excuse me, the cutoff had 400 chips. The button had 4K. So I actually wasn't the chip leader. I was second in chips. The um, the small blind had 1K, and the big blind had 1,500. So they're all kind of shallow except for I mean, the,
2: the button. Yeah, I I mean. If you're going to play the hand, I guess I would raise call against all of them except for the one with 4,000 chips. If I was going to play it, uh, raise call just because they have, like, you know, around 10 big blinds each.
1: Right, right but um, then you you 're in a crappy situation right because you' you're never your equity is not going to be great if you get
2: well jammed. well yeah it depends, it depends yeah. on like uh if you feel like playing high variance poker or not if you feel like building a sack you know the structure is faster than usual then maybe it's okay. I agree with Casey that I probably just chuck it
0: yeah
2: in that situation
0: yeah that's that's kind of what we said uh, when, when Diego and I talked about this hand before um, i I think I had said that I would just full pre-flop as well. I mean, especially in in Midnight Madness, where it's just a minefield of chaos, you know, with players shoving and playing any two cards, and you're just gonna get yourself in a lot of bad spots. I think raising deuces here.
2: Well.
1: So I opened (laughs) in the face of all that advice. um, I opened, but I, you know, I definitely felt wrong. So um, that's why I brought it up. So I did open and I made it 300. I didn't make it a full three X. I figure you know everyone's shallow enough that I can get the, you know, the the actions behind me through 300 and 360 will make a difference. And uh, I did get one call from the big blind who had 1500 to start the, the, the the hand.
2: Um, Okay, so he needs to join tournament poker edge.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. Clearly, Um, and. Uh, so the flop comes ace of spades ace of diamonds 7 of spades and he checks um out of the big blind and I, the there's 660 in the pot and i have you know this pair of twos with two aces and a 7 on board i feel like i should see bet be betting here um you know given the texture of the board uh just put up what do you guys think
2: um yeah i agree um if you're going to be playing this hand. However, like, um, what did you make it on the flop? What was your bet?
1: I made it I, I made it
2: 420. Like, considering the fact that the guy only really has 15 big blinds to start the hand, or whatever it is, 12 big blinds,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you could easily bet 240 there and get the same result instead of having wow. to bet 420, and then if the guy shoves, you're like, well, crap, I'm really pocketed committed at this point. Like, so if, you if you just make play, it two, 200, even... You'll get the
1: maybe, same thing. Maybe, um, um, maybe I'm um, projecting maybe how I would see someone betting 240, but isn't that a sign of weakness? Wouldn't like a good player potentially jam it on me there? Or
2: I mean, would, would he's we... not a good player if he's flying right, right, 12 right. big blinds from the big blind out of position. So, I mean, he's either going to have an ace and shove on you or he's just going to fold. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense.
3: I, I might take it a little bit to the other extreme. Where if you're planning on betting 420, it's really hard to fold to a jam, so right. I might just jam.
2: Right, That makes sense, too.
3: Because take all the plays away from him, and if he has ace, well, I guess I'll just make my two on the Turner River. But
2: <laughs> I, think, I think
3: you're pretty much pot committing yourself with that uh, 400 and some odd chips you bet. Right. Um, so I would just go ahead and jam all my chips in the middle and say, what do you want to do now, pal?
1: So if you if now if we think well okay I guess we never think he's a good player here because of of the fact that he f- he flatted but if we thought he was fairly competent does that change our our play here is it Nope more- not for me no? if
3: okay. I if my if my C bet is going to um pot commit myself to to a particular pot then I always just put all the chips in the middle because even if they're competent I don't want anybody putting me in a a sixty forty position in my favor even when I could have just got him to fold for all the dead money in the middle. So I always just keep the pressure on and I I would jam there because I'm not, I'm not C bet folding. So uh, I would just go ahead and bet the remainder of his chips.
1: So I guess the lesson here is that with 26 big blinds and with shallow stacks, even shallower stacks behind me, just fold the two, two. And I, I, you know, I think, I, I don't think people do that. I don't think people realize that. I think people see a pair, and think that they have to open um, no matter what, and no matter what position they're in. And I'm guessing that's probably going to lead to a lot of tough spots like
0: this.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that's a leak in a lot of people's games. Uh,
0: yeah, or even worse, they just let us limp here, thinking, you know, I can hopefully see a cheap flop and try to flop a set, but you're just going to do it so rarely that it's, it's just spewing chips.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awful. Are, are there any guidelines to sort of stack sizes when you guys stop opening any pair? Is there any? I mean, I know once again, every every table is different, but you know, once we hit under thirty big blinds, should we be more, you know, conservative with opening pairs early? Or you guys have anything? You, you well,
3: at, thir- of- at at thirty big blinds for sure. I I, I wouldn't be opening um, small pocket pairs at thirty big blinds, but like uh, forty or fifty, I definitely think it's okay. So like I'm saying, later in a turn, it's not only early, but I mean, it's a good it's a good hand to try and pick up blind jannies and whatnot with 2-2. So I think there's right. like a middle section of the tournament where you should stop playing these types of hands, but then re-bring them into your game later on.
1: Okay, cool. Okay, great. Um, okay, so let, let's move on to the next hand. Uh, we talked here in this first hand about, you know, what hands to open up and, and if we miss the flop, um, what to do. Uh, I think clearly we learned that probably shouldn't be opening um, that hand there. But the next hand is from the PokerStar70K, that $50 tournament at 9.30 Eastern. Um, And here I have 4,200 chips at 5,100. So I'm about 42 big big blinds. And I am in the cutoff. It folds to me. And I open, you know, we're at 5,100 I opened to 250, and just so you know, the, the stacks, of the, the sizes of the stacks behind me, the button has 8K, the small blind has 4K, and the big blind has 4,600. So I opened to 250. So I think at this stage, are you guys opening you know, a little less than three at the, by this point? Is that, is that fair?
3: Uh, yeah. I, I may open to 300 there, but 250 seems fine. I open a little bit bigger when there's no annies because right. I, I want to kind of uh, be able to put people on ranges a little bit better. And I think if you give them too good of a price, then you're not quite sure what they're playing. But I think 250 is fine.
1: Okay, that's an interesting point. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I just I realize you know people started raising smaller, but I I see what you're saying there about um, going a little bigger because it is hard because now the big blind does have some pretty decent odds to call.
3: Right, like at the start of a tournament, if it's like 1020 and you start with 3K, I'll open to 120, which is you know five six x sometimes even more because I want to narrow down, like, 18 people flatting me
2: with four or five of spades. I'm oh. still flatting you with four or five of spades, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Watch Wien's <laughs> I mean, videos at tournamentpokeredge.com.
2: I mean, if you if you five or six exit, I know you have aces, so I'm getting the implied odds with my four or five suited. I'll snap you right the fuck off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, ween. Okay, so, so, so moving into the hand. So I, I have 6-6. Six, six, it's 250. Um, I open to 250 from the cutoff. And Wait, we have 4-5 get... suited? No, we have 6-6. Six, six. Oh. And it's not suited. <laughs> um, so we, I open to 250. The button folds. The small blind calls, as does the big blind. So we're going to the flop, three-handed. Um, there's 750 in the pot, and I'm in position. The flop comes three of spades, seven of spades, six of hearts. So it's perfect a...
2: spot to have four or five suited. <laughs> Good point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you always get a flop like that when you when you call with four or five suited, right? Right. Perfect. So okay, so 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 now it's a pretty wet board. There's seven fifty in the pot. Um, so uh, they both check to me, and I'm on the button. With this flop, um, well, so you know the reason why I brought this hand up is how are we going to get the most value here? Um, what's the best line to take in this particular spot to get most value with our set? So uh, before I tell you guys what I did, um, just curious to what you guys would do here. I'm
3: definitely going to put some sort of bet in there, uh, probably something around like three fifteen, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, somebody may decide to raise with a a spade draw because there's two spades on the flop or they could have uh, some sort of gutter or if they did rate or flat with eight nine or something they may decide to make a move and obviously we want to take this chance to get as many chips in the middle as we can with the set so I I, I definitely wouldn't check Um, I think checking is probably the worst thing you can do Um, I definitely put out a bet and try and get as many chips in the middle as I can
2: yeah, also if someone has, like, a dry seven on that board, they might be trying to protect against flush draws and straight draws and, and check-raise you there. And it's hard for you to be raising and to have hit that flop, generally speaking, because you should have, like, you know, two high cards there instead of something else. So.
1: Right, right. And so if we put out a bet and we get raised um, – I, I guess let's, let's say we put out a bet of like 500 and, and we get raised back to like 1500. Are we just jamming at that point or are we min raising? What, 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 how are we going to best get value from, from someone who raises this there, check raises this?
3: Well, you have to go with stack sizes there, but both both of the, the guys in the pot with you have around 40 bigs, if I'm not mistaking. So,
4: yep, that's correct. Um,
3: then you could, you could go ahead and jam um, oh. or you can flat there depending, but because the pot's already building, so you're going to be able to get more chips in that, uh, on the next two streets, but uh, J- I think jamming is probably fine.
2: Yeah, if a guy if a guy is check raising you uh, one third of his stack, he sounds like he's pretty comfortable with the hand at that point.
1: Right, he's just going to yeah. get it in, right? Yeah. yeah. And if
2: that's the yeah. case, like you don't want you don't want, like the ace of spades to come off or so, or like something like that to cause him to maybe fold his hand on the turn. So I definitely just jam on the flop if we get raised.
1: Yeah, Wayne. That's what exactly what I was going to ask you because now if we check here, and a spade even if even if we just call his if we if we bet if we bet and he cut raises us and we just call him or if we just check here and a spade comes or like a five, uh, they're going to be have a hard time continuing, right? They're probably this is probably the time to get the value, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. You might as well if they have a hand, they're going to go to the felt with it at this point. So why like why like bring a turn card to? to complicate things. You know, you probably have the best hand here. Let's just get it all in if we can.
0: Yeah. Now, I think that's, ahead, I think that's a really interesting point because I think a lot of people when they when they're playing a hand like this, they look at the board and they they try to figure out what the scare what cards they're scared of, but they spend no time thinking about what turn card could come that's going to cost them value later. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think people also like they don't realize that poker in a lot of ways is a simple game. Like you don't have to overcomplicate things by um by like always slow playing or or anything like that like you can just bet and get all the chips you don't need to overthink things like some of this stuff does not require over over in my opinion
1: you know i think i did overanalyze it because i checked which i you know looking back and talking through the hand with you guys is clearly clearly wrong but i what i was thinking at the time was um I want someone to catch up a little bit, right? Because I'm, I'm, uh, I want someone maybe has a king or a queen or a, a jack to to catch one of those cards on the turn, and then feel like that you know because I, I showed weakness on the flop that they would have to 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 to, to bet. What's what's wrong with that thinking? Because it, it, it feels wrong, but I can't put my finger on why why it's wrong.
3: Because Is you it? have them in such a dominating spot, and there are some draws out there, and those exact cards that you're hoping that they catch maybe the exact cards that. They just go okay. Well, now I'm probably drawing dead. Mm. You know, right. if a king or king or a jack peels off, and they have say seven eight of clubs, they they hate that turn card.
2: Right. It, it it's like it's like when people have pocket jacks and the flop is like ace jack three, just to give an example. And they have pocket jacks, and they're like, well, I'm gonna check and hope they catch up. It's like, why are you checking and hoping they catch up? They either have an ace or they don't. Right. Bet the crap out of it. And you'll get value, or you won't. There's no need to overcomplicate things.
1: Right, right, right. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I, I think, I think you know clearly. I think, I think you guys are right, and and I think I should have bet, but I didn't. Um, I checked, and so um, the flop comes the three of diamonds, which gives me.
3: That would um, be the turn.
1: I'm sorry. You're right. The turn. The turn. <laughs> uh, um, clearly, I, I have a lot to learn in this game. <laughs> the flop only comes once. Um, so the turn comes with the three of diamonds. So now um, I hit a, a boat. Um, you know, sixes over threes, and uh, the no draw is complete there. And um, they both check to me. And with the, t- with the pot of seven fifty, I bet four hundred. Um, sound right? Or I mean, what are we doing at this point?
3: Well, I I definitely think since you screwed up so badly on the flop that it's definitely time to try and build the pot, especially because you're not losing a lot of hands here, 3-3 or 7
2: Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we can give you advice since you play the flop so horrifically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and that's it for today's strategy. (laughs) But yeah,
2: it's
3: definitely time to bet, so 400 chips seems fine
1: okay um the small blindfolds and the big blind calls and so now we have a pot of 1550 um a seven hits the river seven of, of diamonds which Pretty puts gross. yeah puts two pair out there sevens and threes and you know we're kind of guessing or hoping or that he had a seven at this point so um he bets 750 into 1550 um and i i just called because uh, i was kind of frozen there um I mean, are we are we ever getting we're probably not getting called by worse, are we? Or so should, do you do you just call there, or do you guys uh, put in a, a raise?
3: Um, I think more times than not, with the bet of 750 into 1550, he doesn't have a seven. He has a three,
1: probably, mm-hmm.
3: or maybe some sort of six, um, and he just thinks that you're playing ace high. But I don't I don't think he's going for super value with a boat here. So I I wouldn't hate raise, but calling is definitely fine. You have to at least call. Yeah. But, but my feeling on this hand is that
2: you're good. Yeah, I think my only option is to call. Okay.
1: Well, that's that's what I did, um, and he had actually 10 jack. Um,
2: oh, that was so. well played.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well played.
2: <laughs> so you're, not pay- you're not getting paid if you do raise, but just right.
3: – to- by his bet, like, I mean, by his bet size, it's it's pretty obvious to me he doesn't have a 7. Because if I have a 7 there, I'm betting, like, 11.85 or something like that. But to get a lot more value, I'm not betting half the pot. That kind of looks like value slash blocker. So I, that's why I wouldn't hate raise there. This is where value showdown, value comes into play. Um, it's a pretty fine line, but I think that's not an awful spot to raise, although you could be raising into a 7. But I'm fairly confident with his bet size. He doesn't have a seven there at least 90%, 95% of the time. So it's something you got to get used to. I mean, I'm the big dog pocket five, so I can figure this out pretty easily. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there is a video um, on the site that uh, – what was the video? It was showdown value versus value? Value
3: versus showdown value, yes.
1: And So what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that exactly?
3: Well, it's just like – where you should be trying to extract more chips or where you should just be calling or just checking on the river because your hand has some, uh, strength and some value to it. And you don't want to turn your hand into a bluff and get pushed off the pot. Um, this is one of the toughest things in poker is, is trying to extract, um, the most chips you can with your winning hands and when to know to, when to do that and when not to do that. So it's a really fine line that poker players have to walk and, uh, It's what separates, I think, uh, some of the best players from some of the not-so-good players.
0: Okay, so let's move on to another hand that I think a lot of people have questions about, how to play early in a tournament uh, when you have a lot of chips, and and that is Ace-King. Obviously, Ace-King is a hand we're going to play. I think the question is just, how do we play it? Um, So the first hand we have to talk about is from the Full Tilt Poker 50-50. Basically, we have a starting stack, and blinds are at 20 and 40. We are under the gun plus two with the Ace King of Hearts. So under the gun plus one raises to 120. Now the first question here is, and and this is a situation I find myself in a lot with with Ace King, are we automatically always raising Ace King here, or is it okay this deep to just sort of flat and proceed from there? I know what Casey's going to
2: say,
3: and you know what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say is uh, you definitely should be raising here. I think it's uh, pretty bad to be flatting because he's opening from such an early position that if you flat, I'm sure you're going to get 66 or 67 other flatters. And then you got to play the pot like eight ways. So I would definitely be re-raising um, to try and at least ISO the pot. So I would definitely be re-raising in this spot pre
2: Okay. I mean, in what this spot, think, in, in this spot, I, I definitely do still raise. Um, but I don't think flatting is awful. I like, do. Um, if I was in the small blind or the big blind here with Ace King suited, I might be very inclined to flat being this deep out of position. Um, but uh, I definitely think I put I still put in a raise here.
1: You know, I guess looking at the hand here that Derek played, what I wonder about is if we raise though, don't we imply such a ridiculous amount of strength that that this guy is going to fold a lot of stuff that we dominate.
2: I mean, I kind of agree. I think I think if you have Ace Queen there and you're raising under the gun plus one and under the gun plus two, puts in a re-raise, it's like I'm pretty sure I fold Ace Queen there if I'm playing against just some random player. I'm pretty
3: sure that he started this by saying that it was the 50-50. And no, he's not folding. He's, he's if you raise to three hundred, the original raiser is at least calling ninety nine percent of the time. So no, I don't think he's folding at all. And I think you iso the pot that way. And I think you know, it, it's very bad to call. And you're not um, out of position for the record in this in this particular hand with that guy. So uh, I definitely I, I definitely like raising here. I would never flat, not in a million years. I think it's awful.
0: I think you bring up a good point about it. Being the 50-50, because you do get a lot of satellite players and, and guys taking shots. I, the fact that it's a $55 buy-in tournament is a little misleading, I think, because you do get a lot of bad players in the 50-50. So.
3: If you raise, you're getting at least one caller, and definitely the uh, original raiser isn't just raise folding to you there.
0: Right. I don't, I don't believe that. All right, so I flatted. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Why wouldn't
0: you? And and we get uh, three, three callers. Shocking. Behind us. Um, so now there's 620 in the pot, and the flop comes Ace-9-Deuce-Rainbow. First player to act checks, and the original raiser, the the under-the-gun plus-one guy, makes it 305. So he bets 305 into a 620 pot, and action is on us.
3: Raise. I think you have to raise here for the same reason that you, you, you you should have raised a flop is you're, you're still five-handed, so I want to try and discourage going to more streets with so many players. So I would definitely be raising here, and I think that he stacks up with a lot of smaller aces here. I think these people in these tournaments are bad. I don't think if you raise, he's folding ace-jack. I don't think Yeah, I
2: agree.
3: Ace-10. I don't think he's folding ace-3. So I, I definitely think this is a raise spot for sure.
2: Okay.
1: Now, if if you raise, though, and he has nothing, he's just folding, though.
3: But yeah, but if, there is five people in the pot. Somebody else probably sure. has an ace more times than not. I think.
2: Yeah, an and um, I mean, if he's just folding there, then he doesn't have a hand. At all, so I mean, again, it goes back to either he has an ace and he's stacking off, or he's not. Like it's not like he's gonna pay you off with queen jack if he turns a queen. He's either gonna pay you off with a weaker ace or actually or you know not. What?
1: I mean, that's a, that's an important point because I think. Say it again. so so if he if he has a king queen here and he he leads into this flop and because he's the original razor and he I don't know I just you know Derek just calls him here, and the turn comes you know with a king or a queen you don't think he's just gonna he's gonna feel like he's ahead or you don't feel like he's gonna want to play some streets here
2: after I mean that? I mean if you what are you trying to do are you trying to slow play to let him catch up by just flatting the flop I, I think mean, that's what I would do. I mean, I don't know what you're slow playing. Like, he's not really going to pay you off there. If you're flatting his raise with three people behind you, you're, like, telling him you have an ace.
1: Yeah, good point. Good point.
2: I think maybe this this is a leak for a lot of people because...
3: When you have a hand like this, you try and get as many chips in as you can. And if the guy folds, he folds. And you move on to the next time you flop a monster hand. But uh, I think that just calling in these spots where you more than likely have the best hand is is horrific. I I don't play that way at all, ever. Um, Maybe it's because of my image and people think that I'm often putting in chips behind um that i get paid off so much i'm not sure but i i think i would put in more chips so far on both streets that you've you've played this hand because uh i want to get as many chips in as i can when i when i know i'm ahead i don't slow play anything so yeah it's not in the big dogs game
0: okay cool fair enough so i flat <laughs> <What do you laughs> why would you? <laughs> and uh, the rest of the players in the hand fold. So now it's it's heads up between myself and the original razor. Uh, the turn is the queen of clubs. So now the board is uh, ace nine deuce queen, and uh, the razor puts in a bet of six ninety five into twelve thirty. And at this point, can I assume we're just we're, we're always just raising?
3: At this point, I think I would just call because I'm not, I'm not trying to play every street different than you here, but I think a possible hand that he might have is ace-queen. And I yeah. think that you know, at this point it might be <laughs> the right play to just call and see what peels off on the river. But, I mean, I guess if you want to raise a couple streets too late, um, I guess this is an option. But uh, I, I don't hate call just on the turn. Once the queen peels off, and maybe he does have king-queen, you don't want to push him out of the pot, you might be able to get a street of value because you are in position on this guy on the river. Um, I kind of like just call on the turn.
2: I'm having having issues with trying to discuss the turn. Again, I don't want to sound like a dick, but when you play the pre-flop and flop so much differently than me, it's hard for me to give my opinion on the turn.
1: Right, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, where us, you know, Derek and I, as sort of the, the the regular amateur player, make these mistakes. So, you know, but but it's good to talk about how hard the turn is to play, or how differently because of the fact that just fixing the preflop leaks would would probably make this hand much different. So it's good to to know that.
4: But yeah, I mean, right, but, right. but
1: I will say that a lot of people make these leak, you know, have these leaks. So we we do want to kind of. Figure out what to do on these turns, um, you know, and these these flops where we didn't play it optimally pre.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so we 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 do end up raising here on the turn and and the villain folds. Um, So obviously we've we've had the best hand all along, but I think the the lesson learned here is that we should be raising much earlier and getting a lot more chips in earlier.
2: Yeah. Pretty much sum
0: it up. If he has air
2: on, if he has air on the turn here, like. Uh, you might as well give him rope to hang himself if I am going to give advice on the turn by like just flying the turn and evaluating what he does on the river because like he's going to be bluffing off or uh, he could be th- like desperately three bet he could be desperately shoving the river as well with like complete air.
1: Right. right. If we call the turn, we're probably we can't fold really any any rivers, can we? Probably not. Okay, so um, so let's move to the next hand, and this is another spot. This is a hand I played um, in the Full Tilt 28K uh, guarantee at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a $26 buy-in, and we're really early. I, I I don't know if we started 1530. We might. If not, it's only the second level, and we have 3K, which is the starting stack, and our villain actually has um, 2,580, and I'm not sure how he – lost 400 chips he um you know I was like five to eight tabling or whatever at the time so I, I didn't i didn't notice but um but that's how deep we are and i am in mp1 no and uh and it folds to me with ace king and uh, off suit and i raised the 90 and this villain i have no reads it's early and he makes it 240 and i have to tell you this is a spot i find myself in infrequently uh where you know, i'm not sure if i should be raising here if i should just call we're so early and you know if i don't hit an ace or a king on the flop just give up um or something you know that's something good uh that i might want to continue with uh given the strength he's showing or because he's showing strength just re-raise re-pop him and then try to get it in so that's i think the, the question i have on this hand is why i picked this hand so what do you guys think
3: uh, i definitely think that uh four bet calling here is, is fine. Um, if you want to play a little more conservative early in the tournament, I think you can definitely peel a flop here and evaluate what happens on the flop. So, um, I mean, I guess uh, if you have absolutely no information, I think flatting is fine. Although uh, I would probably lean towards, uh, go ahead and four bet and get it in.
1: Okay. All right. So, so, because I did just flat, um, I wasn't sure, and I, you know, I like I said, I didn't want to just raise and either fold them out of good hands or, or you know, just race right there. Which I don't really mind to race, but I was actually more concerned with folding out, you know, hands that I'm ahead of, given I have no read on this hand.
2: I definitely uh, think the difference between flatting his three bet and four bet calling. I don't think there's much of a difference. Okay,
1: all right. So I guess that's why it's. It's a spot that I'm not sure what to do because
2: like not much of a difference in terms of like one can't be that much more wrong than the other
1: right right okay
0: makes sense
1: all right well that's good to know because that's uh, you know I think about spots like this a lot and I wasn't sure if there's a clear answer here um, so given that we kind of don't you know either way we're we're okay I do just flat and now there's 510 in the pot uh, we go to a flop with 10 a flop of 10 jack 8 rainbow so it's uh, You know, there's obviously obviously some draws, but um, he leads 300 into 500. And what are you guys going to do now with Ace-King, the the over cards? I mean, we have no
2: reads on this player?
1: No reads on this player.
2: I mean, the the easy thing to do would be to just fold. Um, You do still have, like, there are some decent turn cards that you could turn your hand into a bluff or potentially like turn the nuts or top pair like any hand like any seven, any nine, you know anything like that we can turn our hand into a bluff or we could hit a queen king or ace and then we have like either the nuts are really good showdown value. so I mean you could peel one off for sure. Hmm. There is 0% chance that I fold this flop um,
3: because You're in position, so you could have the best hand right now. Um, He's going to have to act first on the the turn. And like Wien says, there are some Yahtzee cards for us to hit there that we can make a play at the pot even if we don't hit. Um, And there is a possibility that we do hit and we end up with the Stone Cold Nuts. So I I, I think if if you're going to flat pre, you definitely have to flat this C-bet on the flop um, in position and, and see where he goes on the turn.
2: Yeah, see I, if he has the balls to fire twice. Yeah, there's
3: right. 0% chance that I fold this flop plate as his hand is played out.
2: So we can win this pot, and I
1: think this is an important concept for a lot of amateurs. So we can win this pot on the turn either by hitting our card, right? Hitting an ace or king, Um king. Or, or um, hitting a card that we can represent that we hit the Right, card. right, right. Or uh, hitting a, well, I guess what can we represent here other than, you know, that we don't hit other than a nine? Is there any? A seven? Seven, right, okay.
2: Right, a seven,
1: a
3: seven or nine. a nine, a seven or a nine, or a, another
1: ten. Right, that's a good point. Right.
3: Yeah, right. I
2: mean, if he has, if he has two, like, say, he has two kings and the turns and nine, like the guy wants to freaking blow his head off. Right. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could do with this hand.
3: And you are in position, so right. he has to act first. So, um, let's say he has the exact same hand as you, which is possible at this point as you played.
2: Or he could have
1: ace-queen, right? I mean, Or do you think he's not raising ace-queen here?
3: No, he There's could do that ace-queen just to try yeah. and narrow it down pre so it's possible. But let's just say he has ace-king and the turn comes uh, a four, a four-whatever, that he checks to you. Well, then you can go ahead and le- uh, lead out, and I think a lot of times he's going to fold. So I-, I think giving up on this pot is you're definitely, definitely losing value.
1: Yeah, I and I think I-, I did give up, and I think it's because I was playing my cards, not his range. Right. You know, I just kind of felt and once again, I think it's a common mistake. I felt like, well, he's he's banged 300 into this flop. I have ace king. I have some outs, but it's early. And I didn't think about what could come on the turn that and what that would represent to him based on what his perception of my hands might be. Um, But I think those are really good points. and, And you have to think about, you know, what what could come on the turn. And since we're in position, you know, there's a good chance he does check the turn and then we could probably take it away depending on the card that comes. Right.
3: Right. I think as played, I mean, obviously I don't know what the villain has here, but as played, I think I win this pot 80% of the time.
0: What's good to bring out of that is sort of the whole idea of sort of having a plan and knowing how you're going to react on different flops and how you're going to react on different turns. Because if, if you call here with the idea that you can represent certain hands other than what you actually have, you sort of need to follow through on that, right? I mean, if if the nine comes, that's kind of what you were hoping for. So you can't just kind of panic and go, well, he yeah. checks. So I'll just check and hope that I river a queen.
3: Yeah, and I think, try and make yeah. that clear on some of my videos um, where I'll be like, oh, I flopped a gut shot. Uh, I'm going to call this bet. And then I'll be like, just so you guys know, I'm not dependent on hitting my gut shot here to win this pot. It's an out. It's definitely an out to give me a nuts, but it it's not the only card I need to win this pot. There are other cards that peel off that are really scary to him, which opens up a doorway for me to take the pot away. I think that's something people um, should really look at and Im- apply into their game. What cards do they really hate? And sometimes you could be wrong here. Like if a 10 peels off, uh, he could be holding ace 10, and you end up looking like a complete uh, sputard. But I-, I just think that's part of the game. Yeah. You know, more, more times than not, if a scare card peels off, it's just as scary for him as it is for you.
1: And I think Casey, you wrote an article on on pulling, it was you that wrote the pulling the trigger article. Um, yes. And I think it's to that point specifically that Derek was making is that if you're going to you know take a line and and if 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 you feel like there's there's you know, an action that you're going to take when something an event happens, you have to then not back off from it because then otherwise you're just bleeding chips if you don't follow through with the completion of what you think is a positive ev um first step that needs a second step right exactly okay cool and, and there's an article on that on the site um which you don't have to even be a member to see so it's, it's pretty cool to, to read that that perspective um okay well i did fold um you know obviously uh, in retrospect um i could see why that's probably a mistake but if we move to another hand against the very same villain um we're at 40 80 now and we both have doubled up. And I, quite honestly, again, I don't remember how I doubled up because I was playing a lot of tables at the time. But he has shown himself to be a giant aggressive sputard since this first hand. Um, so uh, I didn't have that read earlier, but I have the read now. Um, I Is think his he's...
3: username Big Dog Pocket Fives? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, he, I think I had his stats at the time. They were like. He was playing like sixty-five thirty-two or something like that, you know, VPIP um, slash PFR. So he's playing like sixty-five percent of hands, and he's you know he's opening uh, pre-flop like thirty-five percent of hands. So, so now, so this is a, a spot that I, you know I brought this spot up because I I don't really know how to play against crazy people like that so deep. I'm like not sure. I mean, I I think we want to try to get chips in with a good hand, um, clearly probably, but. But it, their ranges kind of confuse me, so so I brought up another hand here with Ace King, um, where I'm on the in the button now, and this same villain is under the gun plus one. We're at 4080. Um, he opens to 240 with a 60 6400 stack. Okay, so he's pretty deep. Um, it folds to me on the button. I have 5400. Uh, so once again, I'm deep as well, and I I raise here. I, I raise here to 720 because Given what I've seen him do, I feel now that he might, you know, put chips in with ace-queen or, you know, I'm happy to flip at this point uh, with this maniac. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is that is that the line you would take or, or you want to? Absolutely,
3: absolutely yeah. the right, right line there. Um, he could tool out with uh, ace-queen or ace-jack or ace-10 if he's that spewy. Um, so it's definitely, you want to give him an opportunity to put in more chips and plus it kind of isolates the pot just between the two of you. So, uh, Good yeah, I, I, would definitely, definitely, um, take the same line here.
1: Good point. Good point. Okay. Um, Wien, you agree?
2: I, I mean, I think your your bet sizing is a tad bit on the big side. You kind of want to like give him uh, room to want to play with you at a position a right. little bit. Um, like
1: 600 maybe or 620. What do you what do you think is? A good I mean, amount? like
2: something like 620 would probably. I mean, we're talking about like very minute things here, but I probably make it a little bit less since we're in position and we want him to to play against us out of position.
1: Yeah, and I guess if we have to c bet
2: with air, it's a smaller c bet, right? Right. Correct. You're you're not blowing the pot quite as much. Um, okay. Which you know you might want to blow the pot with Ace King, but That's I, I just don't want I just don't want him to fold pre. Right. Okay. So, so all points good and, and
1: taken. I, I did raise to 720, and he just called. Um, so now we go to a flop with uh, 1,560 in the pot, and it, the flop comes 5-9 ace rainbow, and he checks. Now, <laughs> given
3: all the dynamics that you have explained in this hand, that he's so spewy that he could stack off with ace queen or all these things, you have to put chips in here. It's it's just really bad to check, in my opinion. You in, in, you're ahead here 99% of the time, and he may if he's as Spuey, he might make a move with complete air. So checking yeah. design is you're just giving up so much value that um, I can't even explain how bad a check would be.
1: Okay, let, let me explain why I, I, I did check. Let me explain why because. This is, I think, once again a common mis- misperception as well, and the way I was thinking at the time. Given that um, I showed the strength pre-flop, and you know, he, he just called me. I feel like he later streets. If I just show weakness here, on you know, like if it's uh, you know, I'm showing maybe I have a jacks or queens or tens, he may he may shut down here. You know, yeah, yes, he's spewy, but I did show a lot of strength. Where later on – and I think a lot of people think this way, so so it's, it's good to talk about it. Later on, he may tool out because now he doesn't think I have
2: an ace if if I, if I check here. That's, even the, if you, that's what I was even thinking. If you bet, even if you bet the flop um, and he's got in his mind that you have two jacks and two kings, he's still going to raise you. Like you're supposed to be continuation betting there. Mm. So he can still raise you. Thinking you're on kings to jacks and he can get you off it. Right. What if
3: this guy? What if this opponent is holding ace jack and you see bet this flop? It, 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 yeah. it, it, right. To a spewy guy, it's immediately going in.
1: Or yeah, what it if, is going in. You're right. You're right. Or
3: what if okay. this guy is holding? Let's say. Let's say he's holding seven seven, and you see bet, and then he gets the bright idea that you are holding queen queen. Oh, then he shoves all in. Like, there's just so many scenarios where he's gonna try and outplay you and take this pot this pot away from you. That uh, I think it, I think it's horrendous to check. Like, I'm not trying to come down on you. I just no, no, it's I'm
1: good. Kidding. It's 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 fine. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. We wouldn't be doing a podcast if we couldn't. Uh, <laughs> if we could The only the way I
3: check that flop is if I misclick.
1: If you that's what? It. if you miss Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, the, right
3: there, big dog pocket fives checks.
1: That was <laughs> no it's, it's it's all fair and i you know once again i picked this hand because I, I i found it um difficult while i was playing to know exactly what to do and i think for a lot of people out there i think this is probably you know i may be wrong and the audience might be all screaming you know what an awful play as well but i think this is the spot where you know thinking poker players will will, will probably come out ahead because of the things that you're saying here um and you know, you just may not have enough experience, or um, just might not know that that the, what you guys are talking about regarding the value that that we're missing here against his range of hands. I, I just kind of automatically assume that this spewy player will try to take control of the pot later. But what I think I'm missing here is that there's a lot of of you know there's a lot of things he's going to do even if I if I keep control.
2: I, I think it I think it again comes back to people overcomplicating the game, like. I, I think TV poker is to blame more than anything else. Like, they see these guys check monsters back and slow play in spots when, like, it worked. So they seem like geniuses, but in actuality, like, just slow playing is just not that big into my game and not in Casey's game at all.
3: I mean, if he's that big of a sputard and you're taking a whole street away from him where he can't spew, you're, you, you've removed it from <laughs> from his game. You've That's taken that saying.
1: straight away from him.
3: So, You've uh, taken
2: away his spew, his, spew, his spewiness.
1: <laughs> so so I do check and the, the turn is a four of diamonds and he leads seven fifty into a pot of fifteen sixty. Um, now we we talked once about you know bet sizing when we want people to try to spew on us and I tried to make a small raise here um, to try to get him to come over the top of me, make it look you know weaker or or just if he's not thinking he's just going to jam here. Um, what are you guys doing at this point? That, that's what I did, but what are you guys doing at this point?
2: I mean, if you're giving him room to hang himself, that might be a spot.
3: Uh, <laughs> see, my thinking is totally opposite now. When you check behind on the flop and then Min raises turn bet, it, it, I would say this guy has ace, ace, ace 90% of the time. Right, right. But you're, you're a big dog. You're not, you know. No, but I'm saying the the way you played it, if I was in his shoes, you've made this look so strong by checking behind and then min-raising the turn that I think he's giving up there more times than not.
1: And do you think common low-stakes players think that same way?
3: I I mean, if they have a brain, I would. See, somehow if I did misclick the flop, I would just call the turn. Because you're in position, and he's gonna probably fire the river because he probably thinks you're just floating, just to float with kings or queens. And then I would check, or then I would jam him on the river, because I I figure he's gonna bet the the river more times than not. But I right. definitely wouldn't mini raise the turn after checking the flop because it makes it look like you have flopped the absolute stone cold nuts.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that makes you sense.
3: You understand yep. what I mean? So I yep. just, like. Yeah and this guy is clearly awful i mean <laughs> i like i don't know what he has but the the way the line plays out is, it, it just seems absurd to me i can't i don't even believe this hand's real i think he made it up
1: <laughs> <laughs> at this point i wish i did <laughs> <laughs> um, well he does call my little bet um, and then we go to the river and okay so so the river is a blank. It's well actually it's a five it's not, it's not a blank but i don't think you know we're not thinking he has a five here i, I I assume. Um, and he checks into me and I just, you know, the pot's 4,500 and I just bet um, my 3K and he calls. Um, I mean, at this point, it was a pot being that big. I don't think you know, we're not really do much else. Um, and we think we're ahead at this point, right?
3: Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. he probably has something like ace-10 or ace-jack or something like that.
1: He actually has ace-queen. Yeah. He
3: has uh, ace-queen. So definitely a, – a point being made here um, he definitely puts it all in on the flop i think if you see bet right right okay and i think there's other hands that he, if he doesn't have an ace he puts in on on the flop for other reasons we already explained
1: um, you did
3: double through him but I, I, i'm not sure how
1: right. <laughs> 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 well because he had he had ace queen and, and he you know he, he came down to dip there i i i lost a lot of value probably on on the on the turn I mean, on the, on the flop, from other hands, he would have probably spewed out from, is what we're kind of You're sad. almost,
2: you're almost like, <laughs> like, if I have ace-queen there on the turn and some guy does that to me, someone like you? You're folding. I think I fold, yeah.
3: That's what I'm saying. He made the turn look like he has ace-ace-ace or nine 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 at the very least. So, <laughs> like, obviously, Nick, whatever his name is there, is awful, because you've made, you've took in such a strong line when obviously when you're a flop top paratop kicker that's not the ideal way to play poker you want to take kind of a weak line so you get paid but you've taken the strongest line I can ever fathom and somehow right. still get paid off
1: right right
3: where I think you could have just played a different way and got paid off earlier in the hand,
1: but nice hand. Well, you doubled. Well, done. All right. So (laughs) so if you liked this analysis, there's a, there are, there's a video series on the site called sticking it to the man, which, um, the pros will beat up the site founders, uh, on a regular basis by watch, by, by watching a video of them playing. (laughs) And, uh, and you get the similar kind of (laughs) where the pros make some awful mistakes. And the, the, I'm sorry, when the, when the, where, where KB and I make uh, some awful mistakes and um, we get berated for it, but in a, in a, in a constructive way because I definitely learned a lot from, from the way this hand went down and the way we talked about it. So, okay, um, so those are the hands for today. Um, you know, thanks guys for, for helping us get through some early stage strategy. You know, I think I think um, these are common. There are a lot of spots where I think uh, you know amateur players might might not know what the best line to take is. So you know, it's good to to, to get your guys' perspectives on it. Um,
0: yeah. thanks, thanks for stopping in, guys. And um, we'll actually be right back to talk with Ween and Big Dog Pocket Fives a little bit about backing, which is something a lot of people have been asking about. So we'll be back right after this break. Hey, guys, this is Killingbird from Tournament Poker Edge. Have you checked out the Tournament Poker Edge League? This is an opportunity for you to compete against your fellow Tournament Poker Edge members for tons of great prizes, plus, most importantly, bragging rights. The league runs several 10-week cycles with a variety of days and start times to meet just about anyone's schedule. The buy-ins range from $3 to $5, so whether you're grinding the small stakes tourneys or playing high stakes, anyone can participate. Head over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and visit the forums for all the details and to sign up for the next cycle. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. We are back with Big Dog Pocket Fives and Ween, and today uh, we want to have a little bit of a conversation about backing. It's a topic that comes up a lot in the forums and in the Tournament Poker Edge chat room. So I thought we would pose uh, some questions to our pros since both of them have experience on both sides of uh, of backing deals. What we're not going to do is go into a lot of conversation about what backing deals look like because that varies a lot. You know, depending on the on the backer and on the horse, but you know there are other questions I think that a lot of people have about backing that we can address here. So, one of the big things that people bring up all the time is, you know, should I be backed? You know, is it right for me? So, Ween, what are some of the things that you think somebody should consider when they're trying to decide whether or not they should go out and pursue backing?
2: Um, A lot of it has to do strictly with your financial situation. If you're comfortable with having, you know, like to play the 100 rebuys and the 1Ks and whatnot, you need at least 100,000, you know, online. If you're not comfortable with having 100 grand tied up and you want to play the higher stakes or something like that, then you should definitely consider being backed. Also, I think for me personally, I like the fact that when I have a massive score, I can just cash out that money and I'm able to put it to use in, like, a week's time. Whereas instead of, like, having to worry about how to invest my money and whatnot, anything I make is mine and I could use it for rent or to buy a car or whatever I want to do, reinvest in something else.
0: Right. Casey, what do you think about that?
2: I think
3: it's a personal decision, obviously. It's hard to know if you should be backed because I know a lot of people that are backed as – Obviously, I've backed a lot of people that when they hit a score, they kind of feel depressed about it because they have to give half their money away that they just won. So it's a double-edged sword, but uh, I can definitely see what uh, Ween is saying. Um, if you do hit for a hundred grand and you immediately put $47,000 into your bank account, um, you know that's yours and you're not going to have to take it out a week later because you're on a cooler. Because you're back, so that money's yours, and you never have to worry about losing it at poker. So um, I think it's really a personal decision, and it's up to the individual and how they feel about things.
2: Yeah, right. it also it also depends on, like, what you're comfortable putting down to play poker. Like, I think MTTs have such ridiculous variants that if it wasn't for my backers putting me in tournaments, like, there's no way I'd ever play, like, the Sunday 500 or even even the million, like I just wouldn't invest two hundred dollars into it uh, on my own. In most cases, I just I hate the variance that happens with poker, so especially multi-table tournaments. So I don't feel bad when I'm giving them half my money because I would have never played it anyway.
1: What, right. what about what about just playing lower and playing on your own money? You know, instead of instead of playing the hundred rebuy or even the fifty rebuy or a, a nightly hundred K, you know, you play fifty dollar tournaments or twenty six dollar tournaments and, you know, if you have a bankroll that could you know, if you could afford a bankroll that suits that, do you think it's better to play on your own if, you know, at a lower
2: stake or play uh, th- higher
1: at a bigger stake?
2: I think even then, like I'm very adverse to risk personally. Like, I don't make risky investments in myself or uh, what I do with my personal funds. It's just not within me, and I know that, and I won't get rich that way. At the same time, like, if I'm playing just $50 tournaments and I was to lose $400 in, in a night, it would upset me. Whereas my backers are, like, the coolest people ever and never say a word to me if I'm at a huge downswing and they never really give me any crap. So I'm completely fine with, you know... Losing a couple grand in the night, whereas if it was my own money, I'd be like, "Oh man, I could have paid for rent this way," or right. et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that people don't really think about when trying to decide whether or not to be backed is the idea of makeup. You know, they just think, "Well, essentially, I get to play for free, and if I profit, you know, granted, I only get to keep half my profits, but I'm essentially playing for free." But they they sort of forget about the fact that if you go on a sick downswing. You could find yourself not taking profits for a really long time.
2: Yeah, that's a part of it. That's why having money in your bank account is so crucial. Like I'm on a probably I'm probably a hundred K in makeup right now. Um if this was my personal finances, like I'd be in pretty bad shape if that was to happen to me, you know? But because I have my backers, you know, behind me, it's fine. I don't even think about it and if I I've had a couple caches for like 15K, and they just go right to them, and I just know it cuts away at the makeup.
0: Right. Cool. Another, another topic that uh, you know, sort of comes up a lot is you know, people, uh, maybe they've decided that they're going to make the jump into you know, trying to get backed. And so, so their next obvious question is, well, what, what do I need to do to get backed? Like what kind of things are backers looking for in a horse? And, and Casey, I think you'd probably be a good person to, uh, to address that question.
3: Yeah, um, obviously when it was well-known that I was backing a lot of people, I used to get messages on a daily basis. And um, if I was not familiar with the people, but they, uh, I looked them up and they had a good resume, what I would personally do, so what people should do is, if they know someone's a backer, is send them a hand history. And then that way, um, that's how I used to pick my horses. I would throw a couple of their hand histories into a replayer, and uh, I'd pretty much watch them play the tournament. And then uh, I can, I can tell from watching a hand history who's, who's I, someone I would want to back and someone who I wouldn't want to back. So that's the way I do it. So my suggestion, if you're trying to get backed, is find a backer and then present yourself with a hand history and say, uh, you know, I'd appreciate you looking at this and consider me as one of your horses.
2: Yeah. The uh, the other thing to look at is like you're gonna need some results. Um, in some way, like results make you more favorable to a possible suitor. It's like it's like if you're going on a date, like you should in fact brush your teeth beforehand. Um, <laughs> it's just something like that like you should be able to have results, and also you should be able to like it's also about who you know like right. like i could I know players that are that are much better than me that can't get back.
4: <laughs>
2: <up? laughs> <laughs> but, um, if I ever got dropped by my backer, I know so many people cause I'm, I've been around the community for so long that I would be back the next day by someone else.
1: Uh, right. How do you build that up? Do you, is it, is it
2: getting active in a forum? You know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, establishing yourselves on chat. uh being on the forums, being active, and just being, like, a genuinely good person. If you present yourself, like, don't present yourself if you're actually a scumbag, but Mm -hmm. um, if you're a good person, like, it's going to show through, and, like, people will trust you, and, you know, a lot of backing is trust. Like, it's hard to send someone who you think is a scumbag 5K to play a tournament, but if someone trusts you, then something to be said for that.
0: And you mentioned, you know, obviously, a big factor is having some results. Is there, is there a magic number? Because you know, a lot of people will, will, you know, say, oh, check me out on OPR. You know, I have, I have such and such ROI. Am I good? A, you know, am I good enough to get backed? Is there a magic number?
2: No. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some great players that don't have any results that are playing well. That you know, they just haven't had that big score to to show. I mean. If you're playing well and you have a decent hand history, that should be good enough to get you back. But, I mean, if you have a couple wins in, like, the $5, 10 $20 tournaments, it shows, you know, that you at least have some idea of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, and I suppose it, it could have something to do with consistency, too, because sometimes you look at those stats and you go, wow, this guy's got a, you know, 110% ROI, but then you see that, it, it you know, that was all in one big bank. It, but, but he's you know he's blanking a lot of other tournaments or something, whereas somebody else might only have, like, a 35%, but they're putting in huge volume and, and shipping tournaments on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, it also depends on, like, what you plan on getting out of your backer. Like, there are some backers that will go over hand histories with you and really make you into a better player. It's essentially free coaching if you can get backed by players like that.
0: Right, that makes sense. And are there some sort of, like intangible variables or, like, outside variables that can have an effect, too. Like, I always let people know, you know, when when if they ask in chat or something, I say, hey, it's probably worth mentioning that you're a member of a trading site. Um,
2: yeah. I, I know stuff that you shouldn't be. Like, most backers don't want to back people that are married and have kids. Right. It's just, you know, it means that you have less time devoted to the game and you're not going to be playing as much. And So that's something that, you know, people look for, like – Sorry for all the TPE members that are 45 and have two kids, but it's going to be a strike against you to try to get backed.
1: That's good to know, though, because then I actually didn't even realize that. I didn't know that was that was a, a, a you know a negative. So you, knowing that, walking in, you might be you know figure out you have you have to overcome that when you wouldn't have known that.
2: Yeah. That's good or just or just don't mention the fact that you're married and have kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in that case, you just you know you point to the fact that. I have, you know, I've played this many tournaments this year, or I have this kind of volume. You don't even mention the fact that you're married. That way, they can assume you are or not. But, but as long as they know you're putting in putting in the time and putting in the tournaments, then, then right, they'll,
2: And obviously, don't lie. Consider it. I mean, you know, if asked, you tell the truth. But right, of course. Know, but I mean, no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're still putting in three thousand tournaments a year, like that's still significant. Um, I mean, Diego plays more than me, and he's got two kids, a job, a wife etc so i mean it does depend but if you're just looking at profiles it is a strike against
0: you right no it definitely makes sense i think it's and i think it's a good point cool well if, if if any of the listeners have other questions about backing um feel free to post them in the ask the pros section of our forum and uh, we'll be happy to try to get uh, you to get those questions answered for you so i want to thank big dog and Ween for joining us today so diego what for you was the number one takeaway from uh, this conversation with Ween and big dog today
1: um okay so i, I think that one thing that I, the, the main thing i took away was that uh, you really shouldn't be too tricky um and don't you know try to build value at, at every possible street you can if you think that you you can build value um I, you know, I, I, walking into the podcast, I kind of always kind of felt like I did that, but it's clear from a hand like the Ace King hand that I probably played that a little too tricky, um, and I missed some streets of value, even though it ended up being okay for me. And, and in some other hands too, we saw this, um, even though in that hand, particular hand, you know, I was lucky enough that he had the top of his, his range and, and, you know, the hand, a hand that would call us off given my line. But, um, you know, I, I was supposed to bet the flop. Because I see bet uh, you know I'm supposed to see bet there, and I did, and then i I put took a really tricky line in the turn, and you know I would have folded out so much so much of his hands there, and i just i said I played the hand in a way that I think would have lost a lot of value from a lot of other hands um, given the read and given given the given my hand specifically um, and that just goes back to in the early stages. Uh, There're going to be a lot of bad players. Um, There're going to be a lot of people who know how, don't know how to play deep stack poker, and unless you're playing, you know, with 100 R or you know, something you know, significant, uh, the Sunday 500 or, or something along those lines, there should you should just play straightforward, um, and and you should really just try to build pots uh, with your strong hands, um, and then just you know look for the warning signs of when they have a strong hand, and and so I think I just need to simplify the game a little bit. Probably early stages, uh, you know, as opposed to what I did in that particular hand, and, and just look for if that's a, something I do frequently.
0: Yeah, I think for me, you know, what really kind of rung true was when when Ween talked about how people tend to just try to complicate things. You know, he, I think in his words, poker is not a complicated game. You know, it's pretty straightforward. When right. you have a good hand, you bet, uh, and when you don't, you don't. You know, and obviously that's not right. the case in every single hand and there's there's going to be times where you should slow play or where you should trap or whatever but i think i think a lot of times you spend so much time trying to figure out well how do i how do i trick this guy or how do i trap this guy um or get him to bluff or whatever when so many times you're just missing these opportunities to get to get chips in the pot you know
1: you know what i think it is
0: I, i think we read about the marginal hands right like
1: like we don't read a lot about when you have ace king against ace queen like that's a pretty straightforward hand like you know we don't we, what we do is we spend a lot of time on forums talking about the really tough situations we spend a lot of time reading books about really tough situations and when we watch poker on TV you know we don't we don't pay attention you know we don't really retain much about the easy hands it's more about you know when a a flush comes in on the river and you have your hand, but you're thinking about your opponent's range, and can you bluff that you know against his range, and will he fold you know if you think he has a medium pair i mean like that's the really interesting stuff about poker um but we don't spend a lot of time just building our solid early game skills when we have the goods, or when we don't have the goods, and it's clear we need we need to fold it i think I think it's just that we we tend to have a disproportionate amount of time on. On the hands that are more frequent, um, which means right. that if you don't develop good skills there, you're going to have a, a pretty big leak for most of the hands.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think it, when you're reviewing your hand histories um, or reviewing other people's hand histories, like it's important not to skip over those hands where you just go, "Oh well, yeah. I had Ace King yeah. and he had Ace Queen and, and there was an Ace on the board, so of course, you know, of course the action went like this." Um, you really have to review those those hands. Uh, the same way you would review the the hand you busted on right you know or or whatever because i think we spend a lot of time on those on those on those landmark hands as opposed to the ones where we you know we built up slowly throughout the tournament and shipped up you know 500 chips at a time or whatever
1: well well, that's why it's good to do hand history reviews with other people right instead of just doing it yourself
0: yeah good point
1: you know if you if you just and i i know i try to do a hand history review you know every couple days at least you know maybe take a night off from playing and and go through three or four of my tournaments from the from the previous week, and um, and you know I, I do skip over the, what you know tends to be the easy hands, and and quite honestly, I didn't think that a couple of these hands were as difficult as they ended up being, or as wrong as they ended up being, and that's just because you know another set of eyes, and I think we said I, I think I said this early in the uh, in the podcast, right? You know, another set of eyes, someone you respect, brings up something that you didn't even think, you know, a fundamental. A fundamental concept, um, a hand that appeared to be easy to you, um, and they found a leak that you didn't even know you had. So I think that's it's important to just continue to, to talk to people, even these simple,
0: seemingly simple
1: early stage hands.
0: Cool. Well, that was great. I, I, I'm already looking forward to uh, to the next strategy session because I know I got a lot out of that.
1: Me too. And uh, and and we're gonna go over your hands in the next strategy session. <laughs> More of your hands <laughs> because uh, my ego is bruised and I'm beat up here.
0: <laughs> I, I was gonna suggest that we we take some hands from the listeners that way neither of us have to get abused yeah but you know what we don't want to lose we don't want to
1: lose subscribers right that's true yeah um they're 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 firm but i think they're fair i think that everything they said was was right on and and you know you have to have a thick skin if you're going to ask big dog pocket fives and Ween um to amazing players to look at your hands um you have to have a thick skin because you're you're going
0: to be wrong a lot and they're going to find it. So right. So, yep. If you good. if you don't want the truth, then don't ask for it. Yep.
1: All good. Really enjoy that.
0: Yeah. Right. So uh, you know, before we exit here, I, I did want to do uh, a little bit of talk about uh, the site tournamentpokeredge.com. dot com. It is a, a tournament poker training site. We provide uh, training videos from. Big Dog and Ween and all of our other pros, including Hit the Panda and Hegbar's Celine and Cougars 4444 and uh, T Twist. So uh, there's a you know a ton of videos up there, uh, ranging from low stakes to high stakes. It includes rebuys and tur- you know turbos, um, six max, pretty much every kind of tur- uh, tournament you can imagine. Uh, there's there's a video up there, but uh, but there's more than that. There are also Poker articles uh, focusing on all facets of, of poker, including strategy. Um, there's also a member forum where you can talk about hands with uh, with your peers. There's a chat room where people join uh, every night to discuss hands and just kind of sweat each other as they go deep in tournaments. So, um, you know, if you're a tournament poker player and you're looking to improve your game, I think it's a uh, it's a good place to stop by and check out.
1: Yeah, and um, specifically to the the topic of today, um, we have a couple of early stage videos uh, series actually on the site um, big dog did an early stage series so you can just get you know get into his mind on how he plays early uh, hit the panda did an early stage video as well um, so you have a couple of resources there for this this topic uh, and then and we also have uh, if you like this format, where the pros were sort of t- talking to the the, the the amateur players and, and giving their perspective, we have a, a, a series type called "Stick It to the Man," where <laughs> where Derek and I are the man because we are the founders of the site, and uh, and 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 the pros uh, will dissect. Uh, basically, Derek and I will record our screens, and then a couple of days later, the pros will. Review that recording we'll actually record our screens with with our thought process at the same time, so like we'll be making a video just like a pro would make a video, and then the pros would take that and stop, pause the video, and say, "This is where we might be wrong, I might be right so it 's very similar to this format except it's live um, live sweat, and uh, people really like that 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 format. And coming soon a uh, couple video just so you guys know what 's coming um, if you 're listening to this relatively close to the release date of the of the podcast since um since f tops is about to start and because there are quite a bit of events coming up in the in the, the winter season uh, we 're going to be releasing a couple satellite videos uh, specifically cougar's four 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 is going to be looking at f top satellites and and Doing an article on where the value is, as well as a couple of videos on playing F top sets. Uh, Hit the Panda will be doing PCA sets, and even though uh, the W coupe has passed, uh, Hagbard Celine uh, won a couple seats, and so he'll be doing um, a hand history review of, of, of one of the seats he won. And, uh, and those, that's what's coming soon in the site.
0: Yeah, those are going to be super cool too, because I know I am um, definitely going to be trying to win. Uh, some seats in some F tops events, and uh, with any luck, maybe a PCA seat. But that's uh, that's going to take a lot of a lot of work and a lot of luck. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully that comes through, and uh, we'll see some of our listeners in the Bahamas. So, Great. Great. Um, yeah. So thanks everybody for joining us on this the very first installment of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Thanks to Ween and Big Dog Pocket Fives for joining us, and we will see you all on the next podcast. Take care. <laughs> Good luck at the tables. Uh-huh.
5: Please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love in, intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, what?